Hello, and thank you for tuning in to the Maine Center for Economic Policy's podcast. MESEP is a nonpartisan research and policy organization dedicated to improving the economic well-being of low- and moderate-income Mainers. To subscribe to our podcast, please go to MESEP.org or find us on iTunes. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the MESEP podcast. My name is Marfin Chan, the Campaign and Digital Communications Coordinator for the Maine Center for Economic Policy. With me on the phone to talk about Medicaid expansion is our policy analyst, James Mile. James, can you say hi? Hey, guys. How, how is everything at home? <laughs> everything is good. It's a lovely full day. Uh, out and about with my kids. Is Julian taking a nap? Julian the baby? <laughs> yes, Julian the baby is taking a little nap. Yep. <laughs> I'm going to try to wake him up. Because <laughs> that would be awful for you. Yeah, you've been trouble. Although I think the audience might want to hear uh, a cute baby on 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 the radio. Maybe we can do a special special episode just with Julian. Yeah. So uh, Medicaid expansion has been in the news as of late, as I'm sure you're aware, being uh, one of the on-call policy experts. Uh, so there were some articles and some letters that were critical of Medicaid expansion. Uh, and, and I'm sure you've had a chance to read those. And, and um, just as a rundown or a, a recap, November 7th is Election Day. Uh, it's on a Tuesday. And uh, you have we have the chance as Mainers to approve Medicaid expansion and uh, help 70,000 Maine people get coverage, health coverage specifically. And so, James, were there any other things that you wanted to bring up with regard to why uh, Yes on 2 is uh, the choice on Tuesday? Um, yeah, sure. So uh, Medicaid expansion is um, something that we've been talking about in Maine for a number of years now. It was actually a key component of the Affordable Care Act when that was passed. Um, and so much of what we're hoping to do with the uh, ballot initiative is to um, fix something that's been overlooked in Maine. Um, so because Maine is one of the minority of states that hasn't expanded Medicaid eligibility, we've created this um, coverage gap for people's health insurance in Maine. Um, so there are a, lo- a significant number of people, there's 70,000 fo- folks, who are um, don't earn enough money to cover uh, to qualify for subsidized insurance on the healthcare.gov uh, website. Um, but they don't qualify currently for Maine's Medicaid program, the Maine Care program. Um, so, so since, people are really caught. Cool if I can interrupt you for a second, yeah. um, 70,000, you know, sounds like a pretty big number. Uh, how did you come up with that uh, number, or how did the, the number come up? And, and could you break it down a little more for everyone? Like, uh, what does that 70,000 include? pretty good idea of uh, both the size and kind of the nature of this population um, for a couple of reasons. You know, one is that we've been looking at it for a number of years, and so we have a few different um, data sets uh, from the Census Bureau, which is what most of this is based on, but also because we used to cover this population in Maine before. Um, And so one way to look at Medicaid expansion is reversing some of the um, unfair cuts that Governor LePage made to the program and getting some of these people uh, involved in the program who weren't involved before um, or who have lost this coverage. Um, so the 70,000 people um, include uh, a large number of them are 
um, folks who are living below the poverty line um, but don't currently qualify for main care because they don't have children with them at home. Um, there are also a number of uh, parents who are living just above the poverty line. Um, and so these folks are earning, you know, around, uh, you know, the poverty line for a single person is about $12,000 a year. Um, for folks who might be uh, an adult with a child at home, it's $16,000 a year. So these are really low-income individuals. Um, and we know that they suffer from all kinds of obstacles to work that make it difficult for them to sort of work um, full-time year-round schedules or might make it difficult for them to find a job, uh, and whether that's sort of the needs they have around childcare if they're single parents um, or the fact that, you know, they are less likely to have a college degree than the general main population or they have, we know that about one in five of them have some kind of disability that makes it difficult for them to work, but it is not severe enough to qualify them for disability benefit or for main care uh, through the disability eligibility program. So we know that these are folks who are... Could it also, could it also be that uh, they're not being paid enough too? You mean to, to be working longer hours? Yeah, having to work longer hours, or I think at one point you had mentioned um, even if an employer has uh, a health insurance plan, um, the employees often can't even afford it. Yeah, I mean, so that's one of the things that traps some of these people um, in a situation of having no health insurance or inadequate health insurance is that, um, you know, many of them work for at the low end of the wage spectrum in Maine. We know that one in four only one, only one in four low-wage employers in Maine even offer a health insurance program. Um, so three-quarters of the low-wage employers don't offer it to their employees. Um, but there are also a number of folks who may have an offer of health insurance from their employer, but their employer is hardly helping out with the costs at all, and so it may be very expensive for them. Um, and those folks are sort of particularly hard up because they can't afford to buy their employer's insurance, but because their insure, employer is offering them insurance, that also precludes them from buying insurance through the healthcare marketplace. Um, so it's really, you know, the the best way to think about Medicaid expansion is really sort of fixing all of these failures in um, the uh, failures in the health insurance uh, market and the way it's set up right now. So these essentially these are hardworking Mainers that could qualify. Exactly. We know that most of them are working. Um, we know that a lot of them are working despite significant obstacles. They're really overcoming a lot um, to be working what they are, and just many of them are not able to work enough hours because, you know, we know a lot of Mainers are working seasonally or they're working part-time jobs and there just isn't the full-time work available or they have childcare issues or they have some other, you know, many of them have these health concerns that make it difficult for them to work, you know, 52 weeks a year. Um, and that's one of the things that's sort of keeping them in this low-income bracket but also keeping them from being able to actually afford healthcare to be able to help themselves get better and to work uh, more and sort of work, which many of them we know would like to do. So what would you say to someone who uh, would argue that these folks would already qualify for federal subsidies if they had already purchased or if they were going to purchase private insurance in the Affordable Care Act uh, health marketplace? Yeah, um, so that's definitely an argument that you see floating out around there. Um, so as I said, you know, the majority of the folks that this would cover do not qualify for that at all because they fall under the poverty line. And the subsidies only start kicking in when you reach the federal poverty line because in the original legislation, it was always um, intended that these folks would be covered under Medicaid, so they never wrote that into the original legislation. And it was only um, a Supreme Court decision that stopped Medicaid expansion in every state and made it uh, a state-by-state choice. 
so, you know, the Maine and especially governmental page have uh, sort of created this coverage gap for all those folks. And then even for those people who are between just about the poverty line who would qualify for subsidies, um, as I say, some of them do, um, but many of them don't because uh, you're not allowed to purchase the subsidized insurance if your employer makes you an offer. And um, even if your employer's offer may be way too expensive, um, you're not allowed to shop through healthcare.gov. So a claim that I've, I've heard kicking around is that we've already tried expanding Medicaid a few different times. Uh, I've, uh, I think early 2000s and, and a few years ago in, before 2010. Um, you can correct me on that. Uh, but uh, they, w- they would argue that we've already tried this. It hasn't worked. Uh, what, what would you say to that? Yeah, I mean, so the, the period that they're referring to is uh, Maine did have a previous expansion of Medicaid that was in several phases um, between 2002 uh, right through until about 2011 when Governor LePage started to roll it back. Um, and, but, I mean, the, when people are making those comparisons, you know, I like to say it's like, you know, comparing the first-generation iPod to an Apple Watch. You know, they're very different, and things have come a long way since then, especially in the way that this current program is being funded. Um, so, you know, the way this current Medicaid expansion offer is funded at at least 90% by the federal government. The first couple of years, we actually get a little better match from the federal government for that. But I mean, you know, for every dollar that we're putting down, the federal government is giving us $9. And um, that's kind of unprecedented in terms of federal-state partnership programs. Um, so the critiques and the, and the claims that a lot of the opponents have about, you know, we'll never be able to afford this, but what happened last time, you know, they're just really overlooking the fact that the federal government is going to be um, footing the bill for most of this. And, you know, the other advantage that we have this time around is not only can we draw on our experience from before, but we can also draw on the experience of the 31 other states in the District of Columbia that have done this already. Um, so they've been doing this uh, for several years now, since 2014 in many cases. Um, and so we have a good sense of, you know, what the enrollment pattern looks like, how we pay for this, uh, where there are multiple savings in other parts of state government um, that we didn't see elsewhere in the previous expansion. Um, and so they're really two different stories. And the, uh, the, the idea of trying to dismiss this because uh, based on, you know, the experience of a decade and a half ago um, is just uh, not accurate. I mean, weren't there other forces at work in those times as well? Yeah, I mean, yeah, the um, you, know, you the people, the opponents are often glossing over the fact that you know we saw um, some very negative economic forces, especially in Maine at this time. So you know you've got the bursting of the dot com bubble, and then the post nine eleven recession in two thousand and one. Um, you also see a series of you know manufacturing declines and some paper mill closures, especially in rural Maine in the mid two uh, thousands, and then of course the Great Recession of two thousand and eight. Um, so to somehow claim that, you know, Medicaid expansion the last time around was sort of the cause of the state budget problems in 2008 or 2009 is just kind of ridiculous. You know, if you look at what else was going on, obviously the housing crash and the Great Recession had a much bigger impact and were actually the cause of uh, the shortfalls in state government at that time. I mean, to, to kind of flip the, the argument um, that they make on its head, could you say that Medicaid expansion at those times um, actually helped catch some of the people that fell, um, were, were starting to fall through the cracks in terms of um, post.com bubble, the post 9-11 economic recession, the, the manu- manufacturing job losses. 
Do you think Medicaid expansion in those times sort of helped form um, a stronger safety net? Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, we'd have seen we would have seen thousands more Mainers who would have gone completely without health insurance if we haven't if we hadn't um, had uh, a strong, that robust Medicaid program in place. And actually, if you look at sort of the uh, the, the share of people who had health insurance in Maine, um, we do improve that rate over that over that time period thanks to the Medicaid expansion. And at a time when private insurers across the country were dropping people from their plans or making their plans more expensive. So Maine was able to buck the national trend um, during that decade by having um, this healthcare reform in place and improving uh, the coverage for healthcare at a time when many other Americans were finding it more and more expensive and unaffordable. So, yeah, so that argument just seems to, you know, um, come back to bite them because... Um, the economy could have been worse off if if there had been no uh, health coverage for for those folks. Um, and, and so, moving on to another issue, uh, there has been some mention. Um, there was an, a false and misleading ad um, that's been going around um, saying that expanding Medicaid would hurt Maine seniors. Um, the AARP has released a statement saying that's false, and I believe they're going to put out an ad in response. Um, have you, in, in any of your analysis, uh, uh, come up uh, with any numbers related to seniors? Is that claim true that um, what they say uh, that Medicaid expansion uh, would take money away from seniors? Uh, no. I mean, it's a, it's a classic scare tactic, and it's a, it's a, a claim that, as far as I can tell, is without any evidence, sort of uh, fear-mongering and trying to cast doubt and, you know, pitting one group of majors against another. And, uh, you know, we know that um, we haven't seen this happen in the, th- the 31 other states in the District of Columbia. No other state has had to say, well, no, we're not going to uh, cover seniors under Medicaid or anything particular to that. That's just not something that would happen. Um, so the, they haven't provided any evidence for this. It's, it's a scaremongering tactic. And we know, for example, that um, the Medicaid expansion will create jobs in the healthcare sector and will, bo- will bolster the financial health of a lot of uh, hospitals and other institutions that... Um, have uh, connections to nursing homes and that sort of thing. So it'll have some sort of secondary positive impact on um, the senior uh, population of seniors and folks in nursing homes in Maine. Um, and besides that, we know that you know the, the population that would be covered by Medicaid expansion actually skews older as well. So we know that about a third of the, the adults that would be covered by it are between the ages of 50 and 64. So they're folks who we don't traditionally think of as seniors, but they are folks who are nearing retirement age for whom, you know, buying health insurance privately is near impossible just because of the cost. So uh, another thing that's touched upon is is that uh, Governor LePage and, and opponents have been saying that this will add a lot of money that the state has to spend in, to provide this, this uh, expansion and, and coverage to these folks. Uh, and, and some of them are uh, estimating that expansion will cost, say, $100 million. And uh, I think Governor LePage might have thrown a a different number. Um, So what's your response to that? Well, you know, we've been using on the campaign and uh, MESAP, we've been using the numbers that have been prepared by uh, the independent nonpartisan uh, Office of Program and Fiscal uh, Review as part of the state government. Um, And so, you know, the experts there have put together estimates very clear from that, that the uh, annual cost to the state is going to be only a little bit over $50 million. 
Um, it, and it's going to be a little bit less in the first few years because of that higher match from the federal government. Um, so this idea that it's going to cost, you know, $100 million or something just doesn't, you know, there's no real basis for that again. There's no clear basis in reality for that. And, uh, of course, the opposition and the governor haven't really, they haven't shown any of their working for how they came up with those numbers as well. Um, and I know the governor tried to uh, inflate the number by uh, forecasting it for 10 years, right? I think he said it was going to cost us $500 million in 10 years. Uh, and, and so that that's sort of uh, an odd argument to make since the economic impact would be $500 million a year uh, in sim, um, economic stimulus, uh, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, so it's definitely worth bearing in mind that, you know, no matter, you know, even even the $50 million cost, you know, we have a really big payoff for that because we have those nine federal dollars for every uh, state dollar that we're actually spending. Um, so that money we're spending is really generating and triggering more uh, federal income into the economy. Um, but, yeah, as far as the governor's claims are concerned, I mean, the, we've seen this before when the governor and the Department of Health and Human Services hired the conservative uh, group, um, the Alexander Group, to sort of prepare this attack on Medicaid expansion. And, you know, that was the same group that they had, they had to return money for, for plagiarizing uh, part of their report. So, you know, clearly their research credentials are a little bit um, lacking. But, you know, in that we saw that the, the kind of assumptions they made to try and really inflate this are just assumptions that wouldn't really bear out in reality. You know, making assumptions that uh, huge numbers of Magnus would be plunged into poverty uh, and would therefore suddenly become eligible. Uh, all the people would stop working uh, in order to qualify for Medicaid, and there's no evidence that that ever happened. Um, or, you know, the idea that suddenly the federal government would totally abandon its commitment to the Medicaid program in general, uh, not just the expansion program. So these numbers have been floating around, but they really generate the whole kinds of false and exaggerated claims. And and since you mentioned that uh, for every dollar that Maine spends, that Maine would get nine dollars in federal money, uh, that would uh, f- of course flow to some urban centers in Maine. But it's also a lifeline that's being thrown out to a lot of rural er- parts of the state, especially rural hospitals, which uh, have been in the news recently um, because a lot of them are. Uh, having to face the hard decision of whether to close or not. Um, so can you explain, um, to get a, uh, to throw out a nerdy uh, term, the multiplier effect and how that specifically will help rural Maine? Yeah, we know that um, we know that as far as the economic impact of Medicaid expansion is concerned, that a lot of those dollars are going to flow to rural Maine because that's where a lot of the impacted population is. We know that folks in, you know, uh, Maine's, uh, in western Maine and down east and uh, in Arista County are less likely to have access to health insurance. They're more likely to be low as the kind of low-income folks qualify. Um, and so because those are the folks who are more likely to be benefiting under this, um, that's where those are the folks who are going to get coverage and that's where they're going to be spending their money is at their local health care centers, uh, their doctor's offices, and uh, at hospitals. Um, so we know that uh, a lot of the money is going there. Um, and then the multiplier effect, as far as that's concerned, you know, the, we know that although this money sort of primarily is going to go into healthcare and healthcare spending, you know, when you have more activity in one sector like healthcare, it means that the hospitals can hire more people or retain more jobs. And so, you know, the nurses or the receptionists or the doctors or the surgeons, um, you know, those folks then have more money in their pocket that they can spend on other things. 
Um, so, you know, they're going to be getting more haircuts or moving house um, or, you know, um, or going out to eat more often. And so we know that that money sort of stimulates even more spending in the economy. Um, so as far as this goes, we know that the sort of 500 plus million dollars that's going to be uh, pumped in from the federal government is going to generate um, even more around 700 or a little, a little under 700 million dollars um, in the economy. Well, that sounds like a compelling case to me. Well, uh, yeah, I think the uh, the evidence has been stacking up for a number of years. You know, that's why you've seen um, you know the 31 other states doing this, and that includes you know not just Democratic states, but states with Republican uh, legislatures, Republican governors, uh, independents as well. So it's a it's an issue that is, you know shouldn't be as as partisanly political as it has become here in Maine, um, because we know it's a, it just makes sense for states on so many levels. So, the important question now is, uh, what does Julian think about all of this? <laughs> um, he is uh, absorbed in watching animals at the wildlife park right now. <laughs> I've got fun time over there. He's a little more interested in moose than in right now, but we'll get there. Well, well I'll, I'll leave you and Julian to, uh, to that, and uh, that's a wrap for our second episode of Miseps Podcast. And James, thanks for being on. Sure. Anytime. See ya. See ya.